So last week, we officially entered into the book of Daniel. I believe that this book is a very important book for us to hear during this year. There's a lot that's going on within our nation, within our city, that we can learn and seek wisdom and gain wisdom through the book of Daniel. So it's my hope and goal that as we read through these verses, that we can allow God's word to transform us. Amen? That is why we gather as a church, to be able to hear his word, to be able to be encouraged by the mutual benefit and fellowship of believers, to allow these moments to speak to us, and to allow the Holy Spirit to hopefully change us. So if you weren't here last week, you would remember, or, or, or you would now know, I should say, that Daniel and his friends were carried off from Jerusalem. That the nation of Babylon, which I'll put on the screen for you, which is in modern-day Iraq, took a remnant of the people within Judah and brought them into the nation of Babylon. You'll see that within the purple there. And so Daniel and a group of people were brought to the city of Babylon. And it was there that Daniel and his friends were put into the service of the king as foreign slaves into the kingdom. The book of Daniel mentions a number of people, but the four people that we are primarily going to be looking at are named Daniel, and then I'm going to use their Babylonian names now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And perhaps you have heard their story before, whether it be Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. Well, we are going to be looking deeper into their lives, the reasons that brought them there, and as well as how they respond to a situation like this. You see, I think it's so important for us to know as people who are faithfully reading God's word that, the, that these stories are not just stories. That there are real-life real stories of people who had to go through some of the greatest hardships that we could possibly imagine. And the same is true for Daniel and his friends. So let's read a little bit here. If you would, turn your attention to Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to hopefully be bringing us all the way through verse 17 today, um, but we'll see how far we get. So verse 5 says this, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. So what's going on here? Well, this remnant of Israel, these people of Israel, are taken off as prisoners of war. It was a strategy for Babylon, one of the common ways that they would oftentimes take over a nation, is they would go and sack the nation, and then within the nation they would look for the most prominent families, the ones that would oftentimes be in positions of government or of influence, and they would take those people, including their children, and they would bring them back to Babylon. They did this for a number of reasons, and in fact, it was very intelligent in some ways as a warring nation to do this. 
One of the reasons why they did this was because they wanted to leave the nation that they had just defeated in a place of despair. By taking away all of the noble officials within a nation, what they effectively did was eliminated their government. They pretty much would take away their positions of power and allow them or create a dependency for them on Babylon. What this would also do is it would take all of the prominent families and cause them to now conform to the nation that had defeated them. So this was an intelligent way for Babylon as a nation to make sure that Israel was going to be obedient to the nation of Babylon. That they were going to realize who was in power. So they did just that, and that's why Daniel and his companions are taken to the nation of Babylon. And because of that same reason, Daniel is now under re-education to learn the customs of Babylon and to allow Babylon to be the nation that he would now serve. Now, I don't know about you, but this would be an incredibly hard process to go through. I don't know if I could manage the same. If someone were to come into my land and then steal my children or myself and then bring me to another nation and cause me to have to now serve that nation, to be re-educated for that nation, and then to give homage for that nation when I knew that back home my people were suffering. That's the kind of state of despair that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel would have been in. And it would have been a very, very difficult situation to go through. You know, not only were they taken from their land, but we learn from Scripture that they were given new names. How many of you had a nickname growing up? Just curious. Anybody had nicknames? I see some, some hands going up in the back. Were, were any of these nicknames for embarrassing reasons? Anybody? I'm, I'm not going to ask you to share it, but you can keep your hand up. All right, Adam had some embarrassing nicknames. You had an embarrassing nickname. When I was a kid, one of the embarrassing nicknames that I got was my hair was rather unkept and wild, and I seemed to be able to grow a lot of it even at a young age. So the kids like to call me Eddie Munster. And maybe for the older people in the room, you know who Eddie Munster is. I, would, I didn't even know who he was, but I had, I had the unfortunate nickname of being called Eddie Munster. Right, And it was because my, my hair was always unkept. Not a nickname that I wanted. I would have rather have been known as like Maverick from Top Gun or something like that. But instead, I was Eddie Munster, right? It could be discouraging to get a nickname, right? It could be discouraging to be known for something that you do not want to be known for. Why? Because there's a certain stripping away of who you want to be or who you think you are and... For that to now change. Well, the same would have been true for Daniel, but this situation would have been so much worse. For him to have lost his Hebrew name would have felt like him losing a piece of home. Not only that, 
But the names that they were given, and we'll put them on the screen for you here, the names that they were given were all in homage to the gods of Babylon. And hopefully, Adam or Austin, you can get those names on the screen there. So these names were, were all given to them were now Babylonian names. So Daniel's name would now be known as Belteshazzar. Hananiah's name would now be Shadrach. Mishael's name would now be Meshach. And Azrael's name would now be Abednego. And every single one of these names meant uh, something that was paying homage to the god of Babylon, Marduk. And they were all giving praise to this god. We don't really know why the author of Daniel chose to continue to keep his name as Daniel and allowed all the other companions of Daniel to use their Babylonian names. I'm not sure, and Bible scholars are not sure of that, but we know what their original names were, and we know that they were given new names. Now, the story continues, though, and I want us to take a look now at verse 7 through 8. It says this, The chief official gave them new names, and we just listed some of those. Let's jump now to verse 8. But Daniel resolved... To not defile himself with the royal food and wine and ask the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And what's speaking there is not only were they given new names, but according to Daniel chapter 1, all of the king's officials, meaning Daniel and his friends, were required to now eat a certain type of food. I want to pause there for a second because I think this is really important for us to grasp as Christians or really even to understand this story better. So as I've made points of already, Daniel and his friends are going through a lot. They're feeling the stripping away of their culture. And now they have to serve the king and they're given food that they would be considered unclean with. If you didn't know, in the Jewish heritage, there are certain foods that are considered clean and certain foods that are considered unclean. And it was important for Jewish people to be able to follow those dietary laws in order to bring honor to God. If you didn't follow those dietary laws, then what you were doing is you were making yourself unclean and therefore separating yourself further from God. Now what's interesting here, and I think it's worth paying attention, is it doesn't seem like from scripture that Daniel and his friends really put up a fight when it comes to their re-education. It doesn't seem like they put up a fight when it comes to receiving a new name or having to serve a foreign ruler. But for whatever reason, when it comes to eating this food, Daniel decides that this is his line. That he will not cross this line and he requests for accommodations to be made for him. Now I think that's really interesting and I don't want us 
to skip over this passage. You know, I've read this portion of Scripture, and maybe you've read this portion of Scripture before. I don't know, maybe you've been a part of a church that has done something called the Daniel Diet or the Daniel Fast, where for 21 days you'll eat um, the, the same type of meals that Daniel would have had within this Scripture. But what I find really interesting here in what is oftentimes missed is the fact that Daniel created a line that he would not cross. I don't know about you, but I think it's important for us to recognize that there are certain lines that we should not cross within our faith. Here's the problem. The world will easily judge you for the lines that you try to set up for yourself. The world will judge you for the lines that you try to set up for yourself. Again, I'm not certain why Daniel and his friends didn't allow that line to be their name. Or didn't allow that line to be the fact that they would not serve an evil king like Nebuchadnezzar. But they had a line. And sometimes those lines may look different depending on the person. But we need to pay close spiritual attention to where the lines are in our own lives. You see, I believe God gives us help in this by through the reading of his word, we can learn some simple lines. Right? Let's not steal from other people. Let's not be covetous people. Let's not commit adultery. Let's not commit acts of violence and murder to other people. Those are some basic lines, right? But oftentimes life is not always as black and white as we would like. And we need to pay close attention to the lines that God does not want us to cross because if we cross those lines, we might enter into what we call sin and disobedience. When I was thinking about this, I thought about a story that many of you may know. In fact, this story is so well told that they made a, a famous movie of it in 1981. You might have remembered the movie called Chariot of Fire. Anybody ever seen that movie before? It's a great film. It's one of my favorite films. It's one of the few films I feel like I can on stage say, watch it, you'll like it. Uh, I can't recommend too many movies from the pulpit these days, but that one's worth, one worth watching. And if you don't know the film Chariots of Fire, just to give you a little bit of a spoiler here, it, it shares the story of an individual named Eric Little. Eric Little was a real-life Scotsman who was the, the son of missionary parents in China. And during the 1920s, specifically in 1924's Summer Olympics, Eric Little, who's on the screen here for you, competed at the Olympics. I believe it was the Olympics within Paris. Now this already was a time where things were starting to heat up on a world stage but what's interesting was, is Eric Little was a very unconventional runner. In fact, everybody said that the way that he ran was not the right 
was so fast that he went to the Olympics and was able to compete there at the highest level, favored in a number of events. But you see, Eric Little was a very strong Christian, very committed to his faith, and in fact, after the Olympics, he would give his life to missionary work in China and would eventually die in 1945 there in a Japanese internment camp. It was said that during those years where the Japanese occupied China, that even in the midst of these terrible situations, that Eric would use his faith and his life to be able to encourage the other prisoners. Well, in this 1924 Olympic event, Eric Little was set to run the 100-meter dash. It was, in fact, his event that he was most favored to win because he was a phenomenal sprinter. But this event was scheduled for a Saturday. And as the movie uh, powerfully depicts, Eric did not run that event. And the reason why he did not run that event is because he did not want to dishonor the Lord on his Sabbath. Now, for, for you, you may hear this story and say, well, that's kind of silly. Why didn't he just take the next day as his Sabbath? But you see, I believe for Eric, that was his line. That was his line. And for Eric, I believe that maybe he knew that if he would have ran that event, at least within his own heart, he would have been putting the world or himself above God. And the point that I think I'm trying to make here, the point that I am trying to make here, is we all need to be aware of what lines in our lives cause us to put ourselves or the world above who God is. You see, this is why I think scriptures try to encourage us to realize that while everything may be permissible, especially after Jesus' death and resurrection, not everything is necessarily beneficial. I have some friends, for instance, who stay away from certain things because for them, engaging in those things is a line for them. And they know that if they cross that line, they might get into trouble or they might find in themselves broken covenant with God. So we need to be aware of what those lines are. You know, for me, I jokingly tell people, you don't want to play a board game with Pastor Kevin because for whatever reason, I turn into a monster where I just want to beat whomever I'm playing, and the ugliness of me totally comes out if I know there's some form of competition at stake, right? My reputation, and maybe that's a line for me, probably not, but maybe that's a line for me. Maybe a line for you has to do with something you're consuming, whether it be alcohol, the kinds of foods you're eating, the things that you're allowing yourself to watch. There are certain things that I know I can't watch that maybe somebody else can manage, but I know that if I watch it, I'm breaking my line, and I'm allowing the enemy 
or my sin in my life to prevail over my commitments to God. We all have different lines. I think for Eric, that line was running that race on a day that he dedicated to the Lord. And I think for Daniel, that line was holding on to the dietary restrictions that were so important to his faith. The question then for you is what are those lines? If you say, Pastor Kevin, I have no clue. Well, I'm glad you're here today. (laughs) You need to be able to take the time, church, to be able to learn those lines. The easiest way that you can do that is simply by reading God's word and asking the Holy Spirit through prayer to help speak to you about what those lines are. Because trust me when I say this, that for all of us, there are lines. There are times where maybe we allow ourselves to be taken away into sin. Believe it or not, I think for some of us, that can even be the news. I'm not saying that we don't want to be informed at what is happening on a news level, but I've seen, even in my own life, how sometimes being dialed into that, I end up being dialed into that more than I am dialed into what the Holy Spirit wants to use me in this time. You will hear people this year losing themselves to these things, But you need to be careful that you don't lose yourself as well and realize where your lines are. You know, another thing that we cannot, we cannot miss within this story is the boldness that it would have taken for Daniel to have spoken up and asked for him to have not ate that food. Now, I want us to continue to read, and hopefully we'll, we'll come back to that point. Verse 9, it says this. So Daniel makes that request, right, to not eat the food. And then in verse 9, it says this. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king. Who, was, who has assigned your food and drink. So notice this. I want to stop there for a second. Notice this. Daniel is the foreign slave, right? Daniel is the one who is not a born Babylonian. He's a Hebrew. And Daniel has the bravery to do what? To push back against the laws of his land, his new land of Babylon, And even someone who's Babylonian, who's in this high position of power, is afraid himself of telling the king that one of the servants wants to eat different food. If that doesn't show to you how bold of a move it was for Daniel to request this, then I don't know what will, but it is a bold move. So it Scripture continues in verse 10. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So what do we learn? The king is oftentimes a harsh king. 
He's one who moves to violence if he believes his servants are not doing what he desires of them. So Daniel might be hearing this for the first time. It's probably safe to assume that Daniel at this point knows that Babylon is a tough and ruthless nation, but it's made all the more clear right now that even his simple request of not wanting to eat certain food can cost him his life or very well the life of somebody else. But listen to how Daniel responds to this. In verse 11, it says this, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their their Hebrew names. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. This is incredibly bold. I think, if anything, Daniel and his companions at this moment could have said, well, Lord, you've allowed our nation to fall. You've allowed us to be in prison. You've allowed us to be carried off to another nation. You've allowed us to become re-educated by the Babylonians. You've allowed us to now have to be eat this food that violates your law. Are you real, God, or do you even care? But Daniel doesn't do that. He holds on to his face, faith even in the face of opposition in trials and hardships. How much more ought we do the same? How much more should we try to hold on to our faith regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in? Here is a harsh truth, but a truth nonetheless. The world we live in will not always be compatible with our faith. I'll say that again. The world that we live in will not always be compatible with our faith. In fact, I would say that oftentimes the world that we find ourselves in is not compatible with our faith at all. That it asks us to do things that would violate our faith. Some might even say to us, well, it's totally legal to do this. There's nothing wrong with this. But that the laws of the land might not necessarily be the laws of God. In church, we are called to always put our trust in God and not the land. Amen? Our ultimate allegiance, church, is not to a king. It's not to a president. It's to the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where our ultimate allegiance lies. And we need to be careful if we become too complacent or if we allow ourselves too much leeway to not honor God with everything that we are. Daniel was willing to risk his livelihood, his life, his reputation, everything in order to follow the God, follow God in even this small thing. You know, if I were in Daniel's case, if I were in his shoes, I likely, just being honest, would have maybe just gone with the flow. 
I mean, after all, he gets the choice food. He's eating better than all of the other exiled Israelites. He's getting to enjoy a lot more comforts than many other people who are in a similar situation as Daniel is. But Daniel had a line that he did not cross. And church, this leads me to my big idea for today. And that is is that when we honor God, he honors us. When we honor God, he honors us. Church, I believe this is true. I believe this is true, that when we honor God, he honors us. We see throughout scripture here that after Daniel had done this, in verse 15, it says this, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now, I know that is an act of God, right? That they would enjoy and look healthier with vegetables only, right? (laughs) At least for my life. Maybe I'm revealing my colors a little bit, that it would be very hard for me to lose my meat. But... God honored them, and God honored their faith, and he was able to change the situation and course of their lives, not only for Daniel, but for those around them as well. And that's the beautiful thing, that oftentimes when we stick up for our faith, we not only receive blessings from God in our own lives, but that oftentimes spills over to other people. This is why I think gathering as a church is so important. Because when we gather together under this building, we are blessed by the mutual experiences that we all share. We are blessed by the faith that is carried on the shoulders of the men and women in this room. That is why during our congregational prayer time, we want to pray for one another. We want to encourage one another. And when we honor God, he honors us. And we feel those blessings coming into our lives together. I, church, I want you to know this. I need you guys. I need you guys. I need this fellowship. Next week, I'm so grateful. Roger Olson's going to be preaching for me on, on a Sunday. And it's going to give me a little bit of a break. But I'm still happy to be here. I'm still coming to church on Sunday. Why? Because I'm excited to be fed. I'm excited to be encouraged. So just as much as I might try to serve in this role by giving God's word on a Sunday, know this, that we need each other. Amen? We need the encouragement that this fellowship ought to bring to one another, to hold on to our faith, to not give up when times are hard. I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to view my lines in life and honor God with my life, it's a lot easier to do that when I know I have an assembly of people who are encouraging me to hold on. This is why when people tell me, well, I don't really need the church, Pastor Kevin. I have the Bible. I have my relationship with God. I mourn that sentiment. I mourn that statement. I don't want to be judgmental to them and say, well, you know, 
what do you know? There's a part of me maybe that's thinking that a little bit. But I mourn that because what I mourn about that is the fact that that person has failed to see that we need each other. For whatever reason, that person has failed to see that church is not just about hearing a sermon on Sunday. It's about connecting with each other, worshiping with each other, serving with each other, giving of ourselves with each other. Amen? It's why I encourage you now that if you are not engaging in those things within this fellowship, that there's no time like the present, get involved and figure out ways to be able to be a part of this body and allow yourself to be blessed. Maybe that simple step for you is going to the Douglas's house on Thursday. Maybe that simple step for you is signing up for one of the ministry opportunities we have here. But whatever it is, we all need to be able to honor God with our lives. And I believe, church, that the more we commit ourselves to honoring God, the more he will honor us. We need to honor God in all that we do and commit ourselves to. There's one more point that I want to make. And that is, we all know a lot about Daniel's life. Most people, whether you grew up in the church or not, has heard of the story of Daniel and the lion's den, right? And that is a wonderful story. And it's a powerful story. It's one that teaches us, and we'll hear it in a little bit here firsthand, but it teaches us the importance of knowing where our lines are in putting God above all other things. But what I think we forget is when we see those big stories, wow, Daniel resisting the government, wow, Daniel not going with the flow and resisting the king of his time and, and not bowing down to anybody other than God. I think when we see those stories, we think, how could I ever do that? How could I ever be that bold? We forget that it all starts with even the smallest choices we make. I believe Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying to the king, we are going to withhold from this food, was them not only understanding where their lines are, but it was also them growing in their own faith. If you want to do big things for the Lord, if you have a hunger to do big things for the Lord, then know this, that the smallest choices we make matter. And that oftentimes those who do great things is not because they're doing a single great thing. It's because they've chosen to do a lot of smaller things that have led up to that. I believe Daniel, whether he knew it or not, was training himself in this moment to hold strong onto the Lord. And in some ways, he was making it easier for himself to hold on to the Lord in this moment so that he would hold on to the Lord in the next Amen? So church, what's the lesson there? The lesson there is the little choices we make 
matter because they often help us when the times are tough and the bigger choices are harder to make. We need to allow God to grow us in our faith. So know this, that honoring God can cost us. In fact, I will tell you now, honoring God, probably better said, will cost you. There will be times where when you honor God, you are feeling a cost. And maybe that cost is a relationship. Maybe that cost is a lost opportunity to win more money. You know, one of the things that I'm encouraged to hear when I was at the Douglas Bible study this past week, Mike was sharing a story of somebody that he was working on their home with. And he has told me a number of stories like this, how oftentimes people will rip off somebody else just to line their pockets more, right? Jackie, you probably see that all the time. Those are sacrifices. Those are things that cost us. But let me encourage you, church, that when you honor God, he honors you. And whatever cost you pay, whatever cost you think you're paying, it is insurmountable with the rewards and the blessing that, God's, that God will give you. Sometimes those blessings are immediately felt with the good feelings we feel. And sometimes those blessings are ones that we will see on the other side of life. But either way, God will bless you in, in honoring him. He will honor you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's example to us. We thank you, Lord, for the ways that these faith stories transform and change our lives. We ask, Lord, that as we continue in the book of Daniel, Father, that you would continue to grow our faith, that you would allow these stories to be not just fairy tales or fantasies, but stories that help change the course of our own lives. Lord, help us to know where our boundaries are. Help us to listen to your Holy Spirit, to know for ourselves what ways we need to honor you this week. And Father, even if that costs us, help us to honor you. Lord, we know that when we honor you, you honor us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.